Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now, if you would, would you please take out the Word of God and turn in it to the book of Romans and chapter 13. If you don't have a copy of the Word of God or a printed copy, electronic copy, then there should be one underneath the chair in front of you. You could grab that copy and turn to page 127, and you would find yourself at Romans chapter 13. Now, it's not news for me to tell you that we live in an information age, right? We live in a technology world. And in our world today, there are multiple ways that we become aware of time. For example, I am wearing a watch in one of those ways we call analog time, and I happen to be wearing an analog watch. I like analog watches. I like the hour hand and the minute hand, and when I look at it, it's just easier for me to calculate maybe how many minutes I have until I have to be at a certain appointment. How many out there really like analog time? Let me see some hands. Okay, quite a few of you are analog folks. Uh, Another way we can be aware of time is digital time. How many people really use digital time? Yeah, a number of you do, and that may mean that you have a digital watch instead of an analog watch. Maybe you even have a smart watch, you know, an Apple watch or a Garmin watch or a Sony smart watch. Some of us, what was that? Oh, she uses the sun, all right. That's a good one. (laughs) Some of us use our phones now. I've noticed this with uh, most of my children. They don't wear watches. They use their phone. And, you know, when you get into a phone, phones also come with alarm apps. I have an alarm app on my phone. And I don't need an alarm clock anymore. I have it in my phone, and, and I can wake up to any kind of alarm I want to. I can wake up to the sound of a wailing saxophone if I want. I can wake up to the barking of a hound dog on my phone if I want to. I don't know who ever does that, but that is an option to wake up to a barking hound dog. Or I can wake up to the sounds of thunder, which is what I did at 4.45 this morning, listening to the rolling thunder coming as I was waking up. Now, all of us are aware of analog time and digital time, but there's another kind of time that exists, and that is divine time. And divine time comes with a built-in alarm. And divine time is to help us to awaken from our slumber and alert us to things about life. And one of the passages that deals with divine time is Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. Now, we are involved in a series that we've entitled, Walk in Love. And last week, Pastor Mark took us through verses 8 to 10 of chapter 13, which is our core call in walking in love, and that is that we are to love our neighbor. Now, Pastor Mark underscored that love is action, not emotion. That's very important for us to understand, and he also underscored that love is produced in his power. Romans 5.5, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now today we come in chapter 13 to verses 11 to 14 as we finish off that chapter. I have entitled the message today, Live Appropriately. And I would like to read verses 11 to 14 and invite you to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading them. Verse 11 says this, Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Walk in love is what we are called to do. And today we want to talk about living appropriately, how we can show love in how we live our life. And I've taken these verses and divided them up into three sections. Number one... He's going to tell us, Paul is, that we need to wake up to spiritual reality in verse 11 and the first half of verse 12. Secondly, he's going to instruct us that we need to discard the deeds of darkness. That's the last part of verse 12 and verse 13. And then thirdly, he's going to tell us, you and me, that we need to don our new identity daily, and that's in verse 14. So that's where we're going. You know exactly where we're headed. We're going to begin with his call for us to wake up to spiritual reality. Look again at verses 11 and the first part of 12. Do this, he says, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Now, you'll notice that verse 11 begins with a little connective phrase where he says, do this. What does he mean, do what? He means to continue to walk in love. And we're to do that knowing the time. Now, the original language of the New Testament has two primary words for time. The first one is the word chronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S. And the second word is kairos, which is K-A-I-R-O-S. Now, generally, chronos refers to a length of time. It stresses the quantity of time. Generally speaking, kairos refers to an era of time or a season, and it stresses the characteristics of that season. The word that he uses here when he says knowing the time is the second word. It's the word kairos. We could translate it era, knowing the era. Now, in divine time, we have the current era in which we are living. And in verse 12, he calls the current era night. And this era in which we are currently living is an era where the person of Christ is physically absent 
from this planet. He is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. That is the current era. He calls it night. But there is a coming era that he calls in verse 12, day. And this era refers to the time in which Christ returns, and we're going to be in the season of the final consummation of this planet. We're living in the current era, which is night, but there is a coming era, which he calls day. And this coming era of day is talked about a lot in the Bible. I just want to look at a couple of places. Turn a few pages to the left in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And in verse 21, he's talking about the coming era that we can expect. And he says, the creation itself will also be set free to slavery, to corruption, and into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is a future event, future era. He goes on to say in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, looking to a future era, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, because that era is not here yet, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. See, there's a coming era in divine time, and it's called day. You can keep your finger in Romans 13 and turn with me to the book, several books to the right, to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter 3, another place that talks about the coming era in divine time of day. 2 Peter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Now, isn't it interesting how sometimes we think this is all we're ever going to know, what is on this planet, but that's not true. There is a coming era. And he says in verse 11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be as followers of Christ in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for, this is a coming era, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, verse 14, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Look again there at verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Back to Romans 13. He says, knowing the era, knowing that the hour to awaken is coming, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed, we need to know that the day, verse 12, Romans 13, is near. Now, I don't know whether you stumbled over it or not, but there's an interesting phrase there in verse 11. It says, salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. What, what does that really mean? I mean, I thought, I thought salvation was when I believed. What do you mean salvation is nearer than, than when I believed? 
Well, I think one way to, to clarify this is to remember that there are three phases of salvation in the New Testament. And I'll give them to you. The first phase, and these are all theological words, but the first phase is justification. The second phase of salvation is sanctification. And the third phase of salvation is glorification. Justification refers to being saved from the penalty of sin. That's when we are forgiven by Christ. Sanctification refers to being delivered from the power of sin. And then glorification refers to being delivered from the presence of sin. Now, justification, being delivered from the penalty of sin, is an event that happens in time-space history the moment that we trust in Jesus Christ. Sanctification, being delivered from the power of sin, is a process that you and I are working through, becoming more like Christ while we are breathing on this planet. Glorification, being delivered from the presence of sin, is an event that will happen when we're no longer having to deal with sin at all. So when he talks about salvation being nearer to us than when we believe, what's he talking about? Well, he's not talking about the first one because we believed. We were justified. We were declared righteous by God. He's also not talking about the second phase of salvation where we are being delivered from the power of sin. That's a process that we go through. He's talking about the third aspect of salvation, glorification in the event in which we are delivered from the presence of sin. And he says in verse 12, the day is near. See, men and women, when you look at divine time, glorification is next. Uh, what's next is when Christ returns, and he is going to culminate all of history. It, it's going to be the next event when the eternal reign of Jesus Christ commences, and that day is near. And then he says, again in verse 11, it's nearer than when we believed. You know, I trusted in Jesus Christ in 1962. It is now that event, that era is nearer than when I believed. In fact, for all of us, that era is nearer than when the Romans received this letter. We're 2,000 years nearer to it. There is less sand in God's hourglass today than there was when we believed or when the Romans first received this letter. We are closer, men and women, than any generation in history to the era of the day. And why does he say all this to us, to the Romans and to us today? He's basically saying we need to wake up to reality. We shouldn't be going through life in some sort of a semi-spiritual coma. He's saying that we, we need to not lose sight of the bigger picture. You know, we're not just here on this planet. There's a bigger picture. Now, let me ask you the question. Why is it necessary for him to point this out? Why is it necessary for him to tell the Romans about that? Why is it necessary for him to tell Bruce Hess about that? Well, I think my answer to that question is the tendency that I have. And I suspicion it's a tendency that you have. And that tendency is this. We have a tendency to become so this world focused, right? 
We have a tendency to become so this world focused. We tend to be, get completely distracted by school. And, and we need to be distracted some by school. But suddenly that just becomes everything. Or we're distracted by dating, trying to find the right partner. Or we're distracted by our job, and that's what we're consumed by. Or we're distracted by being a parent. Or we're distracted by caring for parents if they're older. Or we're distracted by political elections. It's just we get so completely this world focused that he needs to remind them and he needs to remind us. Do you ever think about the fact that when you are sleeping, you lack awareness of true reality? Think about it for a moment. You know, you know, you can be sleeping and you're having a dream, and that's sort of this little reality that you're in right that moment. But the reality isn't really that dream, right? There's a true reality that's outside of us sleeping and having some dream. Have you ever done this? Have you ever taken a nap at a time of the day that you don't normally take a nap, and you go into a very deep nap? You know what I'm talking about? You are deeply out of it. I've had that happen to me. You know, and I wake up and I look at my analog watch, and it says 7 o'clock. And I think, is it a.m. or p.m.? You know, what day is it? You know, you get into a deep nap when you're apart from just your regular routine, and you just lack awareness of true reality. And so he's giving it to us. He says, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. What's the next word in the verse? Somebody give it to me. What's the next word? Therefore. In light of that reality, he says, therefore... Let us, as followers of Christ, lay aside the deeds of darkness. Not only that, but we need to put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. He's saying that we can, as followers of Christ at times in our life, have deeds of darkness. We can have behavior that has a foul odor of darkness to it. And as followers of Christ, we are to walk in love, not participate in deeds of darkness. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, he said to the Ephesians, do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. As followers of Christ, we're not to do that. And then look at verse 12. He says that we are to lay aside the deeds of darkness. Just as a verb that means to toss it aside, to, to discard it. We are to shed evil behavior like dirty clothes. I'm, I'm sure I'm just like you. you know, every once in a while you go out and you're working outside, you're working in the yard, maybe you're moving some dirt, doing yard work. And I always do that as much as I can remember to do it in what I call work clothes. Because I don't want to get any good clothes, you know, really stained. So I go outside and, and I work in the yard and it's a messy thing, you know. And what you do is you get your clothes and they're, they're just totally sweat-soaked and they're dirty and frankly they're a little bit smelly. 
And when you're done, what do you want to do? You can't wait to discard those things. You know, throw them into the wash pile. I don't like having that kind of stuff on my body. That's the same idea that we are to discard the deeds of darkness. And he says in verse 12, we are to put on the armor of light, the armor of right living. See, we need to be reminded of this. And and everybody in Ephesus needed to be reminded of this. And the people to whom Peter was writing needed to be reminded of this. And the Romans needed to be reminded of this. In Ephesians 5, 8, and 9, he says to the believers there, the followers of Jesus, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness in truth. So here's what he's saying. In light of the fact that in God's time, divine time, glorification is next, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again, in light of the fact that there's a final consummation of the entire universe that is around the corner, verse 13, let us as followers of Christ walk in love, let us behave properly as in the day. That little phrase, behave properly, means to live becomingly, to live appropriately, if you will. We need to hear this. The Romans needed to hear this. The Ephesians needed to hear this. And the people to whom Peter was writing needed to hear it. Remember, we went through that section in 2 Peter 3. I want to remind you of two verses that were in there, right in the middle of all of that. 2 Peter 3.11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, that's reality. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Verse 14 of chapter 3. Therefore, beloved ones, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. People in Thessalonica needed to be reminded of the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 5, he said to the believers there, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Let us Lay aside the deeds of darkness. Now, if you're like me, you start thinking, okay, I'm supposed to lay aside the deeds of darkness. Can you just sort of illustrate that for me? Can you give me an idea of what you're talking about? That's exactly what he does. He gives us some illustrations. He gives us some highlights. In fact, he highlights three areas. There are three pairs of behavior that he wants to talk about. And the first pair is basically this. We are to lay aside the deeds of darkness and He says, I have in mind their substance abuse. Let us behave properly, appropriately, as in the day, verse 13, not in carousing and drunkenness. The word that is translated here, carousing, means drunken revelry. Uh, I think the New Living Translation translates it wild parties. It's not the kind of thing we're to be involved with. I think the NIV maybe translates it orgies. Why would they do that? Well, When you have alcohol and drugs, usually sex is involved in some way, shape, or form. Not in carousing, he says, not in drunkenness. Now, that refers to alcohol, but I think it includes other drugs that tend to control us. You know, and I think marijuana would be one of them. You know, I grew up in the 60s when marijuana was really first being introduced to the culture. 
You know, we're, we're in an explosion of the, you know, now we're getting legalized in a lot of places. It's becoming the substitute drug of choice over alcohol for many people. And he says, listen, we're to lay aside the deeds of darkness, and that includes substance abuse. A second illustration, we are to lay aside the deeds of darkness, and by that he says, I mean sexual indulgence. There's a second pair. We're to behave appropriately as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness. Second pair, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. That little phrase that, that's translated here, sexual promiscuity, one, is one that refers to involvement in sex outside of marriage. Inside of marriage, wonderful God's design. Outside of marriage, it's sexual promiscuity. And then you have the word sensuality. It's a very interesting term. It refers to lust. It refers to the shameful pursuit of pleasure, particularly sexual pleasure. And I think involved in that word would be things like pornography, uh, graphic, movies. And he's saying those are things, as a follower of Christ, we are to discard and toss aside. Not only, he says, um, in the whole arena of substance abuse and secondly, sexual indulgence, but third, this one kind of surprised me. It's in the list with the rest of them, relational conflicts. We're to behave properly, appropriately, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. That word strife refers to discord. It refers to fighting with people. I don't mean physically punching people, but having conflict with people. Jealousy refers to envy, particularly envy that leads to dissension and conflict. And you say, what? What are those doing in the rest of this list? They're doing there because they're important to God. You know, in Proverbs chapter 6, it says this. There are six things the Lord hates. Ah, no, he says, ah, there's actually seven. By the way, that would be a good place to go and investigate. What are the seven things that God hates? But one of those things in the list is this. One who spreads strife among brothers. That is a deed of darkness. Strife, discord, fighting, dissension. What he's saying is this, in light of the fact that glorification is next, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again, in light of the fact that the final consummation of this whole universe is around the corner, it is nearer than when we believe. He's basically saying to you and to me as a follower of Jesus, don't just operate in your life like you're in some sort of a semi-spiritual coma. Wake up. And we are to shed the deeds of darkness like dirty clothes, substance abuse, sexual indulgence, relational conflict. And we're to put on the armor of right living. We're to behave properly, becomingly, appropriately. I like to put it this way. We are to live in light of who we really are. Who are we really? We're Christ followers. That's our core identity. It's our core identity more than our age, more than our gender, more than our ancestry, more than our political party. We are to live in light of who we really are. Now, I'm a very practically minded guy, and when I see something like that, I say, well, how am I, 
how am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to grit my teeth, you know, and kind of clench my fists, and I'm just going to try harder? I'll try harder and harder. No, that's not what he's saying. So I'm so comforted by the presence of verse 14, where he's going to talk about how we need to don our new identity daily. Notice verse 14 begins with the word but. It's a very sharp contrast. We're to lay aside the deeds of darkness, but we're also then, by way of some contrast, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in a sense, listen to me here. In a sense, we put on Christ at the point of salvation, right? When we trusted in him for our justification and our forgiveness. In Galatians 3.27, it says this as he writes to those believers. He says, for all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In one sense, we clothe ourselves with Christ when we believe in him for our justification. But in another sense, we put on Christ as we walk in dependence by faith. That's our sanctification, becoming more like Jesus every day. And that's what he's talking about here, about putting on Christ, donning our new identity daily. It means that we make choices to behave like him. Another passage I want us to look at very quickly is Colossians chapter 3. Now he's writing to the the people in Colossae, and they need to hear the same thing we need to hear. He says in chapter 3 and verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, he says, you also once walked, you once lived when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, cast them aside, discard them as dirty clothing, anger, wrath, malice, slander, slamming people with your your talk, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed in a true knowledge according to the image of of the one who created him. Verse 12. And so as those who've been chosen by God, holy and beloved, what are we to do? We're to put on some clothing we're to wear, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And then notice verse 14. We're talking about walking in love, right? Notice this verse. Beyond all these things put on what? Love, which is the perfect bond of unity. We are to walk in love. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to display our new identity to other people. Now, I hope when you get ready in, in, the, in your week and you're getting ready to go to school or go to work that you're getting dressed. Everyone, is everyone here getting dressed? I hope everybody's getting dressed. That would be helpful if you were But here's something we can do, and we talk about putting on Christ. As you're getting dressed, imagine as you are dressing, saying, Lord, I want to draw upon your strength as I'm putting my physical clothes on. I want to call upon your resources right now. I want to align my will as I'm getting dressed for my day with your will. I want to to put on love. I want to behave like Jesus as I'm getting ready to go to school or out to work or wherever you may go. Put on the Lord Jesus 
Christ. Now, if we're going to do that, it means we need to be alert, not spiritually lethargic. It means we need to stay in the Word of God because it gives us the perspective we need. And it means that we're going to fellowship and partner with other believers. We need other believers. There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. And then he says this at the end of verse 14, and make no provision for the flesh. It's a very interesting term. It really is a term that means forethought. Give some forethought. A number of years ago, there was a young couple at Wildwood. They were going steady, dating one another. We were pretty good friends, and I was talking with them, and they just got transparent and shared with me they were having difficulty having sexual control in their relationship. So I said to them, well, just describe to me the situation that you're in when you're having trouble with sexual control with each other. And they said, well, it happens when we're at his apartment alone, and the lights are dimmed, and we're laying on the couch, and we're watching a movie together, and we just have trouble right then. And I'm like, what? What kind of forethought is that? You know, my counsel to them was, don't be alone together in his apartment, don't dim the lights, don't lay on the couch, and don't watch a movie together in that environment. And that's the idea here. Make no provision for the flesh. Have some forethought. That might mean that we need to avoid seductive circumstances, whatever that may be in your life. If we struggle with alcohol, it might simply mean you don't go hang out in a bar, you don't keep a stock, you know, somewhere in the house. If we struggle with certain kinds of programming on our television, maybe we cancel the subscription to those channels that give us trouble. If you travel like I do, maybe it means that you go down to the front desk or call down to the front desk and tell them, I want to block the adult programming from my room. You can do that. If we struggle with the internet, maybe it means that we get some accountability software going, something like Covenant Eyes. Make no provision for the flesh. Forethought. How do we walk in love before the Lord? We live in light of who we really are. Now, men and women, this is a great opportunity for us to go before the Lord and let him talk to us. I want you to just jot down Psalm 139. Check out the last two verses. Be a great thing to do this week. To say to the Lord with those last two verses, I want you to do that with me. And through all of this, the truth is that we need him, right? We need him. We don't crank this out on our own. There needs to be this daily dependence on him. We need to don our new identity daily. And if you've never come to know Christ, I want to remember I want you to remember that the first step in putting on Christ in your life is to trust him as your rescuer from sin and judgment. That's how it all began for all of us. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. We need him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of God, that it is alive and powerful, and it actually shoots down inside of us very deeply when we see it. And Lord, we, we want to walk in love as followers of yours. We No, that means throwing off some of the dirty clothes. It means that we we must simply make no provision for the flesh. There needs to be some forethought. And ultimately, it means that we need to depend on you because we need you every single day. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for our time together. 
May we walk away as men and women and young people who are different because of it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want us to stand together and we want to sing and acknowledge our need of Him. This is a great time to communicate with the Lord and how where sin runs deep, His grace is more. Let's sing that together now.